This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Well, make sure you check out my weekly Instagram Live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, it's just something I'm trying to get in the habit of doing. You know, uh, typically I'm I'm recording the videos and I'm posting them, having fun on TikTok and Instagram and, and uh, you know, always back and forth on Twitter. The cesspool that it might be, I try to throw out some positivity on there. So, um, but the Instagram Live is something I'm still getting used to. I've been doing it for a few months now. Uh, trying to build up that audience. So check it out. It's a 15 minute leisurely, you know, top of mind kind of conversation. Uh, it's totally not scripted, totally not prepared, just like I am all the time. Uh, and we spend 15 minutes checking in, talking about breaking news and PR, maybe what's going on that day, everything under the sun. Uh, and it's all right here from the PR garage. So Instagram live on my Instagram handle, which is at Jody Fisher, J-O-D-Y-F-I-S-H-E-R. Uh, check us out every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and let us know, let me know what's going on with you out there. Now on for our show today and our very timely guest. Matthew Creighton is the founder of Publitics, which provides counsel to campaigns at the local, state, and federal level, as well as to clients in the private and public sectors. Now, most recently, he worked on special projects during the 2020 presidential campaign, including Joe Biden's uh, We Just Did hat. You remember that? Uh, prior to founding Publitics, Matt worked at Fairleigh Dickinson University's Public Mind Poll. He later taught freshman seminars for political science students and in the law and the liberal arts program as an adjunct instructor. He's currently an adjunct professor in Centenary University's business department, teaching their first of its kind social media program. Matt, welcome to the PR podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, we thought we'd have you on because uh, this is going to post on Monday, the 6th of November. And on Monday, the 7th of November, we should all be going to the polls to vote. So we wanted to talk a little PR and politics. I guess first tell us about your worth, work with Publitics, um, what you do there and, and how you help your clients. Sure, absolutely. So we are a full service uh, public affairs, public relations and uh, political consulting firm. Um, so uh, when I first started out, actually, primarily we were doing campaign work. Uh, so on the on the local level, all the way on up to the uh, federal level. Um, so races for Congress, um, uh, all the way down to town council. So uh, since then, we've <clears throat> worked uh, quite a bit in expanding our offerings and client base uh, in, into uh, more private sector work, uh, nonprofit advocacy. And uh, we still do a ton of campaigns. Uh, a lot of what we do is is uh, more or less political adjacent, I would say. So even if it's not purely political, there's always some political element or government element to to it. So um, it's it's definitely uh, ne never a dull moment. Um, so what that means uh, tactically is we really uh, on, on the campaign side of things or, or political side of things, we really help uh, deliver a message, craft and deliver a message for. Uh, for candidates um, and advocacy organizations. Um, the current state of politics, um, and, and I'll let my stripes show, I'm on the liberal Democrat side uh, of the aisle. Uh, after having been a registered Republican for a long time, I switched sides uh, after um, the orange one effed everything up. 
uh, and and it's just become an absolute cesspool, I think. And 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 you've got you've just now got this cult on the other side of that aisle that don't even know what they stand for anymore, other than themselves, which is uh, really not what politics is. Now, I'm I'm not here saying that uh, uh, the Democrats have everything figured out, but. Um, so much of what politics is mired in these days, I think, is this cult of personality, uh, regardless of the side of the aisle that you're on. You're either you're either believing in this one guy or you're um, fighting everybody who wants to believe in this one guy. And the business of the people seems to have gotten lost. What's your assessment of where politics is and what issues really matter these days? Sure. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question. And this this is something that we have a, uh, conversations about constantly with our clients uh, and and internally too uh, about the sort of state of politics. How do you break through? How do you make sure that your message is resonating with people? And I think a, a lot of it. I mean, our working theory right at at this point is that uh, we're living in in sort of the um, <clears throat> vibes era of politics, right? It's it's vibes. <laughs> so you know it's. While I'd love to take a sort of more high-minded uh, approach or, or or have a high-minded view, uh, sort of the Sorkin-esque view of, of politics or West West Wing, um, you know, policy. I'm there with you. I'm there. Yeah. Go ahead. Look, liberals dream, right? Like that 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 whole, that whole day. Like <laughs> Let Bartlett be Bartlett, right? <laughs> right. We we can actually get some things done. You know, we can we can actually exactly. you know work through. So uh so. so that's that's the prism uh, or, or sort of the working theory that we have about our, our political environment is is it's about it's about vibes because if you if you look at the the major uh, part party uh, nominees presumptive nominees here so uh, you know uh, President Biden obviously is is going to be the Democratic nominee and um, Donald Trump is very likely to capture the Republican nomination mm -hmm. um, those two could not be more different right you look at joe biden uh, a guy who for all intents and purposes has has washington about as figured out as anyone in terms of getting stuff done i mean if you look at this this um if you look at his first term uh it, it's really honestly one of the most legislatively significant terms really since lbj uh infrastructure chips uh um you know lowering the cost of insulin i mean i could go on and on and on right so if we're talking about a battle of policy, he wins going away, right? Joe Biden wins going away. If everyone was kind of looking to policy to guide their political feelings. Um, unfortunately, that's not what's happened. You look at the other guy, four years of basically nothing getting done, uh, chaos, um, you know, absolute uh, discord within within the executive branch. Um, and and then, you know, very likely we're, we're looking at, at that again, if he were to get into office. So, so really, again, if you if you look at like how to communicate through all of that, it, it's got nothing to do with with policy, because it, you would it, because Trump voters on and actually most Republicans, I think, um, you know, if you ask them about what policies they care about, which which um, you know, if or, or if you walk out into the street and say, hey, you know, do you think we should invest more money in infrastructure? Most people are going to say yes. Do you think we should have clean drinking water? Most people say yes. Uh, do you think we should try to lower the cost of insulin, try to uh, you know, make sure that everyone has access to healthcare. I think the answer is yes, pretty much across the political spectrum. The problem is then once you start attaching the partisan lens to it, everyone, everyone kind of goes into their separate camps, uh, which is sort of interesting. So to your point about cult of personality, 
a lot of it is is driven by that, which which makes the job uh, very challenging because I think the impulse among political practitioners and and communicators is is to want to communicate policy, which is very important. You can't completely ignore it because it is important that people know that you're getting stuff done. Uh, but there's something else going on here that that I think we need to be honest with ourselves about and and address. Yeah, I mean, that to to me has got to be the challenge uh, of what you do for any can any um, uh, person who's running for office, any candidates that's running for office is breaking through that um, immediate pushback when someone attaches a name to a policy. It's almost like and, and th- again, both sides, I think, play this. It's just that I think, you know, one has got a point and the other one doesn't. But as soon as you attach a personality to an issue, like you said, clean drinking water, great. Okay, so do you think that Joe Biden has done a good good job on drinking water? Oh, absolutely not, the MAGA crowd would say, right? Why? Simply because Joe Biden, right? And um, and it would work the other way. It's just that, you know, the other way we actually have facts attached to it, whereas the, that other camp does not. Uh but in any case, is is that the problem with what you with the the problem that you face is sort of detaching from that cult of personality, or how how are you crafting those messages? I I think uh, that is the overarching problem uh, with with a lot of smaller issues peppered in there. Uh, you know that we that we have to deal with. Um, you know when you're trying to communicate policy wins or try to communicate on behalf of a candidate, um, and 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 really actually it, a lot of it boils down to even being able to capture attention to begin with. That's very difficult to do. Um, so if you look back at 2020 uh, and then back at 2016, so from 2016 to today, to the 2024 election um, it, next year, the media environment has somehow become even more fragmented than it was in 16, than it was in 12 and 08. So that poses a lot of issues because a, a lot of these things aren't even punching through is, is as well right so like the question is like you used to be able to go on you know do a couple of the sunday shows maybe do some cable news um you know and and get get broadcast news and then pretty much everyone knew what you were talking about with whatever policy it was or whatever message was on the message calendar that that month or that week um now it's like well you got to do local news you have to figure out how to do the broadcast uh you have to you have to hit the sunday shows cable and then you're not even still scratching the surface of where the majority of americans are spending their time which is social media on streaming services um and and other other places like that so so that's a huge challenge uh, from a from a personality perspective. I, I think that that so if you look at the overarching issue that it's sort of a vibes thing and like how do you get the vibes right and and present in, in a way that resonates with people, then the question is like how do you present like how do you actually get that message, get that vibe out to people? What platforms you're gonna be on? Um, unfortunately, I think the answer uh is you have kind of have to be everywhere and and that's really tough to do. So um that's that's the, actually the antithesis of what we tell our clients as PR people is you don't have to be everywhere. You have to be where your audience is, right? It makes sense whether you're trying to sell a widget or or uh, get donations to your nonprofit or get people to buy tickets to your museum or whatever the thing is. You're trying to motivate somebody, fish where your fish are, right? And what you're saying is that politics is almost the exact opposite of that. You almost have to be everywhere all the time. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's true uh, now, especially that it, it's it's even more important to kind of win the overall conversation because that has a way of of seeping into those different channels that we're talking about here. So you know, if you if you figure out a way to message things in a way that resonates with people, um, you you'll see it on TikTok, you'll see it on Instagram, even if that's not where it started. It, everything kind of has a way of spreading if you do it the right way, um, and and that's sort of a almost a full turn from where people were thinking in 2008 and 2012 uh and even a little bit before that was this idea of micro targeting right so like and 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 this is still relevant in some ways but micro targeting the electorate in a way where uh you know you try to target you know affluent suburban moms who drive minivans uh who are particularly interested mm, in x yeah. y and z policy and that used to be something that you would try to do and i think that's still important because everyone's motivated by slightly different things. But overall, I think winning the broader conversation in, in today's politics is um, almost as as important as that. So it's it's kind of gone back back and forth between those two things. How, how can we slice and dice the electorate into these tiny little uh, categories? And then how do we message to each of those small little categories, given the tools that we have at, at our disposal for digital or or direct mail or even addressable TV at this point? Um, and, and then kind of shifting back to how do we win the overall conversation as polarization has really pushed people into two uh, fairly large categories, which is people who are going to vote for the Republican candidate, um, people who aren't. So that's right. Or, or Democrats and Republicans, right? Which is a, a little bit. So the polarization is definitely uh, more. Well, and that's where I was going to go. I mean, if you if you believe what you read and believe what you see, and frankly, I, I think it's probably pretty on the nose in terms of where people fall uh, and who they who they're going to vote for. Is it is it necessarily about informing and trying to win the hearts and minds of those who don't, who aren't on your side and trying to convert them? Or is it trying to motivate the people who are already on your side to actually follow through and get to the polls? Because I think the general observation about 2016 was that um, had more people gone out and voted for Hillary Clinton, she would have won. And her real failure was not motivating the people that were already in her camp. Yeah, I think 2016 gives us some sort of conflicting lessons or really a, a variety of, of lessons. Uh, so I think the Clinton campaign suffered a death by a thousand cuts. So it was a little bit of that for sure, uh, not motivating people. People were not super enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton um, for one reason or the other, uh, you know, Democrat, even Democrats included, uh, you know, some of the Bernie Sanders voters. And we're not talking about huge numbers of people either. We're talking about roughly 70 thousand to a hundred thousand voters across a couple of swing states um in 2020 was the same thing except the flip of that the the mirror image of of that situation so it was it was motivating uh you know so everything matters in the margins now right so we're really talking about small slices of the electorate overall that are motivated by broader conversations so you have roughly six percent of people maybe less you know it's in the single digits of, of people who are truly persuadable in one way or that like actual people who are on the fence trying to figure out who they're going to vote for um beyond that you have uh your your partisans right the people who are dedicated to um coming out for your candidate candidate no matter what and then you have people who are 
in your camp, but not super motivated to vote, or maybe they're starting to feel a little bit apathetic or a little bit of malaise uh, for whatever reason, you know, the, the economy is, is not, you know, where they want it to be, or uh, their, you know, their personal circumstances make them feel a certain way. So, uh, so then you have to motivate those people. So I think in 2016, if you look at that race, it was, it was a bunch of different stuff. Plus then also add in that Donald Trump, uh, was able to motivate a large swath of people or a large enough swath of people in some of these swing states that never vote in in some of those mm -hmm. states. Like low propensity voters were coming out to vote for Donald Trump, who were generally not engaged but in politics, but tend to be more conservative generally. And uh, you know, they woke up, they came out, they voted. Um, the opposite was true on the, the on the Clinton side and the Democratic side was people didn't come out and vote. And then you get little things like. You had, uh, you know, a certain percentage of people who were on the fence, but were probably, you know, how they would characterize it, uh, you know, take their medicine and and vote for Hillary. But then the Comey letter came out at the end. And so, you know, you shave off a couple points here, a couple points there. All of a sudden you get what you get on, on election night. So uh, death by a thousand cuts, I think. Uh, so the problem is you have to do everything right. Uh, there, there's very little margin for error in, in this climate, especially given the way that the uh, electoral college is structured. Yeah, it is a a drastically different world than what it was even 20 years ago. Um, and 20 years may sound like a long time, but that's only a couple, a handful of presidential political cycles, election cycles. Um, let's shift to the to the messaging, sort of how you motivate people who are on those margins or apathetic, as you said. Um, you're not even necessarily looking to change their mind as much as you are simply trying to motivate them to get them going. Are there ways that you do that? Are there messages, maybe not even a specific message, but more like a theme of a message um, mm -hmm. that that seem to be motivational or seem to work um, for the people you work for? Yeah, I think the important piece is really trying to understand the psychology of these voters, the the ones who voted for whatever candidate in whatever year and now are feeling not so great about about how things are going. Um, I think the first principle is lead with empathy. Because if you if you go out there and if, like, for example, if I were to go out there and say everything is great, I don't know what you're talking about. You're nuts. No one's going to respond to that. Uh, because everyone feels they're there, everyone has their own personal experience, uh, which is often times only tangentially connected in their minds to the political process, but they're still feeling that way, right? So inflation, things are a little tough there. Meanwhile, there are a ton of good things, uh, as I noted a little bit earlier, going on in, in economically, right? Job creation is very strong. Uh, wages have increased at a pace uh, un unseen for decades uh, at this point. So you would think that people would be feeling that. And I think people are feeling it to some extent, but the, but the issue too is a lot of these policies sort of will have a lagging effect as well, where you know you start implementing, getting shovels in the ground on these infrastructure projects. Some some have been completed already, but a lot of the stuff, the jobs, the job creation, um, you know, that'll come a little bit later. So they're not feeling it acutely right now. So I think you have to lead with empathy, uh, and and try to um, frame it more or less as a job not yet done. 
uh, when you're an incumbent specifically, right? You're looking at the the uh, in, incumbency. So look at all of these things that we did. And I understand you may not be feeling it right now. Uh, and I understand things are tough, but here are the list of things that we're trying to do here. We're trying to lower prescription drug, drug costs. We're trying to make uh, healthcare more affordable. We're trying to make sure that you've got clean air to breathe, uh, clean water to drink. Um, you know, you can put food on the table and uh, have have the dignity of a good job uh, at the end of the day and protections at that job, safety at, the, at that job, right? So I think those are those are things where you, you kind of have to lead with that empathy and and tell people that you understand that they're not feeling awesome right now. Um, and then and then kind of shift into what we've done. Here's what we're going to do. It's not a perfect strategy, but it is something. Um, and then also, it, a lot of it comes down to how you say it too. So, what is your personal style? What is the candidate's personal style? So some uh, candidates can do a really good job with humor. Uh, others aren't that funny, but can explain things very well, uh, which is fine. Like not everyone is everything. Uh, so so you have to kind of figure out what the, that candidate's particular style is, and then and then lean into delivering the message in in that way, um, and try to create authentic uh, authentic communication to to that candidate because um, that's a whole other thing, right? If you're trying to force force your way into seeming cool or relatable, oftentimes you seem even less relatable, right? And it's like, you know, uh, you've, you see, you've seen examples of it, like, all, all, you know, all the time during these campaigns where people, try, you know, they go to the Iowa State Fair, you know, they're trying to eat all the, you know, the, eat the corn cob and kiss the baby. Yeah, right. It is. Yeah. Like, you know, Ron DeSantis, right. Lecturing little kids on like sugary foods or so. Oh, wow. There's <laughs> a lot of sugar in that. It's like, oh, this is so awkward. <laughs> so, Was he wearing his big white boots when he did that? I forget. I think so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Those skyscrapers on uh, strapped to his but, feet. But in, all, but in all seriousness, I mean, how do you, and, and, and I pose this because I'm really interested in how you do your work. Like, how do you conduct the type of campaign that you were describing where you're saying, hey, look, we, we put up some wins. We got more work to do, leading with the empathy. How do, you, how do you do that in the face of just flat out lies from the other people, from the other side? I mean, every, it seems like every answer to, hey, we accomplished this was, nuh-uh. And in the most juvenile and 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 unintelligent way to do it, I mean, there's there's flat out racism, flat out xenophobia, flat out anti women, not even rhetoric, actual actions. I mean, the the, the look, I'm I'm gonna let it fly for a minute. The Republican Party is destroying politics, destroying the country, and their answer to everything is that's not the way it is, and they just lie about everything. How do you combat lies? with 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 empathy facts with stuff that you think people want to hear how does that go down yeah i it's it's getting a whole lot harder uh to to combat lies um and disinformation and things that are communications that are specifically designed to tap into our uh basest instincts as voters right because the, the stuff that motivates sharing right they're activating emotions and then sort of like contentment emotions activating emotions are anger right like, so if you see something online you're going to share it if you're angry right? oh this really pisses me off so you're going to you're going to hit that share button and it's going to spread around um so like there are a lot of structural and algorithmic issues too like built into these platforms where where information spreads um, that that create challenges in in curtailing some of that. But I think one of the big things that we we look at is creating permission structures. So uh, finding ways in which to to help people 
take incremental steps toward understanding that their experience isn't all that different from the people that they believe are accruing some kind of advantage that they're not getting or, um, or, or, you know, that they believe that, uh, that are fundamentally different from them. So that, so that's something that we take a, a look at is what third party validation can we, can we find, uh, in order to combat some of those things? Because I, it's sometimes the candidate isn't always the most credible messenger for, for those types of things, because I mean, people view you, you, you are the face of whatever party you're running for, regardless of whether you want to be or not. And some candidates do a really good job of creating a strong personal brand beyond um be, beyond their party but that that's becoming more rare uh by the uh by the day so so what we really try to do i think you know if if give, giving advice to any candidate is is find those permission structures right find people who can validate uh what you're trying to do and and help them carry your message forward in in an authentic way uh for them uh that that helps voters that you're trying to reach understand that they're not so different than the guy down the street that they think may or may not be getting, you know, some sort of benefits that, 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 you know, person's not supposed to be getting right. Like, I think at the end of the day, fundamentally, um, and most people want the same thing. They want healthcare jobs, uh, clean water, clean air, you know, good, good st stuff like that, right. Strong economy, um, that, that works, you know, for, for the middle class, middle and working class. So, so I think like once, once you can develop those permission structures and, and people who look like the people that you're, and sound like the people that you're trying to reach. I think that's that's one of the best ways to push back against misinformation because if you're trying to, if you just say no, that's not true, you're lying. That's not going to really go very far, right? And then people kind of retrench into their into their camps, and and that's it. Yeah, and that's the end of the conversation, and that is a place where we where we can't end up because uh, like like we started out this conversation saying, I don't think any one party or any one group of people has the right answer. And the whole point of our uh, terrific democratic experiment here is that we all get to throw our ideas in the pot and the best one rises to the top. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And that, and that sort of brings the, the sort of this idea of democracy in, into play too, at, like as a message. So like democracy being something, a vehicle for accomplishing all of these things that that most people want um so i think that's that's the the biggest thing uh that we think about um when when we're talking about uh candidates and and uh and, and policies and and the, our our general political environment today is that democracy is is critical to um to being able to accomplish these things and pursue these policies. So that that's that's uh, that's another area that, too that we're we're thinking a lot about uh, as well from a messaging perspective is like this overall idea of democracy. So uh in the in this last 24 hour sprint across the election day finish line, um what ways do you think that candidates can be best communicating with those people who are either apathetic, not going to the polls, uh, or maybe still trying to legitimately make up their mind about who they want to vote for. Is it social media? Is it like broadcast radio, TV? I mean, what is it in that last 24 hour sprint? Oh man, that's a, that's a funny question too, because that this is, this is sort of the the period of time where, where we start getting that, that question of, uh, you know, what, what can we do now, <laughs> now that we've done? It? So there, there are certain things, right? So I think the, the, Best thing to for candidates, uh, you know, if you're planning on on running running for office, the, the best thing that you can do 
is make sure that you had a good game plan going into the final two weeks and that you did everything that you needed to do before that. Uh, so late money is very tough to spend um, if you don't have it already planned out. So if you're trying to materialize uh, you know, a, a TV buy right at the end um, and persuade people to uh, to your position or to your candidate, or you're you're trying to figure out how can we drop some more direct mail in in the final couple of days, um, and and cross your fingers that it gets there <laughs> in time, which is which is a, a thing that we do every every single time, uh, every, every election cycle it happens uh, where where you know there are questions about like hey can we just send another mail piece, um, I and 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 digital like if you don't have all of those things planned out prior to the last two weeks and and you haven't really litigated your case by then uh you're probably in trouble right you can't win a campaign in the last two weeks what you can do are uh is really put the pedal to the metal on the strategies that you already had in place so uh get, you know get out the vote operations making sure that you are getting the mail out that you had in the hopper uh anyway um and uh really pushing pushing on digital and and using uh you know, phones, texting, and other ways to to mobilize your base at that at that point. So, so those are the things that I would say. But the biggest thing, the biggest mistake I see campaigns make is they kind of wait uh, until the last two weeks to think about the last two weeks. And really, you should have that planned out in the in the last six weeks of the campaign. You should really have your strategy in place uh, before then, and and have your messaging calendar. And and that's not to say that things don't change uh, because campaigns are extre extremely dynamic in that way. Like, do you have to respond to some attack from your opponents, or is there another thing you have to uh, have to um, you know contend with? But I think overall, that's that's the biggest thing in terms of mediums. It, just from a, a sheer timing perspective, like digital is always the easiest thing to get up and out uh, quickly. Uh, you know, email programs, texting, those are all great. If you're looking for last minute stuff to do mail is tough, tougher. Like if you're not in the mail, the Wednesday before election day, there's a good chance it's not getting there. And then, you know, there are all sorts of questions about what are you trying to do with that mail? Are you trying to mobilize people, which th there are very effective ways actually with direct mail to mobilize voters. But if you're trying to persuade, if you're still trying to persuade people, there are very few voters still on the fence in the last you know, one to two weeks in the campaign. So I would say plan ahead, make sure you have your stuff, uh, you're ready to go, your strategic plan ready to go, check that messaging calendar, make sure you're hitting that every single week, right up until that last two weeks. And, and don't leave any money in the bank. If you have a competitive race, spend every last time I, you know, you'd hate to lose by four votes, <laughs> all to save a couple pennies at the end. Uh, yeah, not a not a wise strategy. But uh, we, uh, we hope that uh, everybody gets out to vote. Uh, and, and I say that regardless of the, your political persuasion, we do hope everyone goes out to vote because I think it's probably one of the best things that we can do uh, as as citizens of our country. Um, you you got to you got to participate or what do, what do you say? I, I you, you got to vote. You got to vote or you don't get to complain. Um, and, but we do hope the right people win, too. <laughs> At least I do. At least I do. <laughs> I can say that out loud, Matthew. Yeah. Uh, we are we are going to segue now into the rapid fire question portion of our podcast. This is where we steal a page from inside the actor studio, ask our guests a series of rapid fire questions. These meant to elicit a simple answer, maybe a laugh or two. Matthew Creighton, with your indulgence, here we go. Rapid fire question number one: What is your favorite news source? You know, I'm I'm pretty traditional. I, I think I'd have to go with uh, like New York Times or Washington Post, uh, some combination of those two. Though I think. Uh, 
Axios is doing some pretty cool stuff as well. But uh, but I would have to say I, I I'm a sucker for the long form German journalism still. So I, I like to dig into those long profiles and and long uh, well reported pieces. So I'd have to good say, stuff. We, yeah. we like things that are well reported. Absolutely. Rapid fire question number two: What's your favorite social media platform? You know, I'm big on LinkedIn right now. Uh, so, so LinkedIn is great uh, from from a professional perspective. Uh, I mean, TikTok continues to kind of blow my mind as as well. Uh, though I don't engage in there, I spend plenty of time, you know, lurking, you know, checking out the trends. And uh, so, I, I would say those are the two, the two big ones right now. And then, you know, Instagram is a a, a close third. I'm with you. Rapid fire question number three in your line of business: coffee or alcohol? <laughs> uh, coffee for me. Coffee for me. I know alcohol. It's definitely uh after election day, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely a coffee guy though. So uh yeah, definitely coffee. Sounds good. Rapid fire question number four. Uh, and this you probably have a variety of answers on. What is your favorite on the run food? Oh man, on the run food. You know, I'm I'm pretty basic in that sense too. I would have to say uh just like a a bag of uh, pistachios or something like that. You know, that it, it does the trick. Got a little bit of everything in there, a little uh, salt, a little protein. So I'm, I'm good with that. Good stuff. And rapid fire question number four, what do you want to be after you finish this career? That's a good question. Um, I do know that I would spend more time in the golf course probably. So a little bit more <laughs> playing, playing golf uh, potentially, but that's not really a career. I, I could tell you that I cannot make a career out of it as much as I'd love to get uh get to a point where where i'm even uh, a scratch golfer uh we are nowhere in that realm yet so uh i would say i don't know something uh in in the uh continuing in the creative space uh you know creating uh entertainment you know content or something something like that in in that sense but uh, i love what i do so I, I don't really see uh you know beyond this uh, other than maybe spending a couple extra you know hours a week on on the golf course Sounds good. You, I'll, I'll meet you out there on the amateurs tour. <laughs> <laughs> I still have a long way to go there too. So yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Ma Matthew, this has been a great conversation. Please let people know how they could find you online. Uh, sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, so uh, M M Creighton, I believe on, on LinkedIn or Matt Creighton on LinkedIn, you can search me. I I'm the only one that spells uh, my last name with a K like that. Uh, very interesting fact. Uh, so easy to find also uh Publitics, uh, You can, put that into the uh the search bar as well on linkedin instagram uh facebook sounds good matt and uh, thank you very much for spending some time with us and thanks everyone for listening please remember to subscribe to the show connect with us on facebook twitter instagram and tiktok at the pr podcast and send us a question or a comment our intro is by christopher apple you can find him and his fantastic photography on instagram at christopher underscore a p p o l d t Check him out there and hire him for all your photography needs. You can find me online at Jody Fisher on all the socials and on the web at JodyFisherPR.com. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast.